Meet Yelp for Restaurants. Not the software company, but the people who love restaurants so much they formed a team dedicated to our industry. Before Catherine joined the customer success team, she managed the modern in New York. Yeah, that modern. Before Julia joined the team, she worked at Oshaval in Chicago for half a decade. Yelp is for restaurants because our people are restaurant people. Meet the new Yelp at restaurants.yelp.com forward slash podcast. Now here we go. We've already lost some amazing restaurants and we're going to lose more, to be quite honest. There's more fallout to come. But after that, there's going to be a great clearing and there's going to be a great renaissance. I know it. I feel it. And the just question is, do you want to be a part of that renaissance or do you want to be watching from the sidelines? And I think right now is as good a time as any to double down on your commitment, on your passion, on your skills, on anything that it takes to get your head back in the game and for you to love this industry and love this business. Welcome to Full Comp, a show offering insight into the hospitality industry, featuring restaurateurs, thought leaders, and innovators, served up on the house. When the pandemic hit, we all had survival on the brain. Some of us focused on our families, some on our businesses, and a select few turned their attention to our industry. Today, we talk with Chef Edward Lee, who represents the absolute best of us. He's a true advocate for our industry, serving up hope, change, and inspiration for the future. You know, I grew up in New York City, and... As a young person trying to make extra cash as a kid, I always worked in restaurants. Funny enough, my first kind of serious gig in a restaurant was at the Trump Tower at a Mm. fine dining restaurant called Terrace Five. I was 15 years old, 14 or 15. And that was my first summer in a fine dining restaurant. And I was hooked at that point. And that's what really opened your eyes to like the glamour and the prestige and all of the fun that comes along with working 80 to 100 hours a week in a hot kitchen. Yeah, no, and I wasn't even in the kitchen. That was my first job. I was a busboy, literally making cappuccinos and running food and stuff. But just the sights and the sounds and the smells and the characters, these cool waiters coming in, you know, riding their motorcycles and their leather jackets and these girls who wanted to be actresses and these posh people dining at just, I loved it. And I ended up becoming really good friends with the chef and just like in between hours or after hours, or if he had some time, he'd bring me into the kitchen, like, try this, taste this. And he'd show me how to make some pea soup and he would show me all these tricks and stuff. And I just got so into it. And that was pretty much it. It's been a great ride. It seems like it's been a great ride. I consumed a ton of your content before jumping into this interview, and you seem genuinely, authentically happy, which seems to escape so many in the industry. Yeah, I don't know. I don't know if happy is the correct (laughs) word. I mean, we're all a bit of psychopaths. I think all chefs have a little bit of psychopath in them. But yes, I have many, many goals I still want to reach and many things that I wanted to accomplish, but I'm very content. It's been incredible to have learned so much. It's been fantastic. And, you know, in these moments, I'm trying to teach my daughter things. I'm like, find something that pushes you and drives you the way food has done for me. Like, I love what I do so much. And I want you to find that same thing. So I do that lecture a lot to my daughter. And of course, she rolls her eyes at me and goes back to watching Netflix or something. (laughs) 
I thought about asking this question, like, how do you fit it all in? The Lee Initiative, three restaurants, cookbooks, collabs, TV experiences. But the more I thought about it, the more I thought, like, you don't. You can't just fit it all in. You have to make choices along the way and compromises. <laughs> and I'm curious to know, how do you reconcile that in your mind? How do you turn your attention towards one thing, unbury yourself from whatever you're currently working on? in order to be able to do all of these different things? I think most chefs are very good at multitasking. This is a long-winded answer, but like one of the reasons I got into cooking in the first place, gosh, I was like 18 or 17, and I was working at a diner, and I was just literally flipping burgers and making pancakes. And you would see, like, it was a shitty diner in New York City, and so you get a lot of turnover. And you would see, like, cooks would come in, and, like, the board gets full, and some would panic, and some would forget and so you know and it's just like at some point some level of panic goes into your system and there was a moment where i just remember like one of the other cooks called out and it was just me and the fry guy and we we're just in there and it just got slammed and it was just like ticket after ticket after ticket and there was like 20 tickets on the board it was like this weird kung fu movie like my breathing slowed down <laughs> i became very still and then i just like looked and i just my mind became laser focused and i just looked at every ticket once and like took a picture of it in my head and just pushed through the next hour and a half and got every ticket right. Yeah, I always say like people in the restaurant industry are not necessarily smart, but you just have to have that weird skill set. Uh, and some people are smart and some people are not, but like the very successful restaurateurs that I know of have this weird skill set where they just like, when they're multitasking, like panic disappears and they just laser hone in and focus on one thing at a time. And that's when I realized, like, I could do this. And so I think chefs are in general, you know, I'm fielding phone call, emails, I'm trying to cook a brisket. I've got someone called out sick. It's just 40 things happen at once all the time. And so I think chefs are uniquely skilled at being able to juggle a lot of things. And as all these opportunities have come up and I do different things, it's the same approach. Luckily, I like being busy. I like having that grind. I like doing a lot of things. So, yeah. It's been that way for a long time. And, you know, after a while, it just becomes normal. It's just a day-to-day -day thing. What I'm curious about, though, is how do you not get sucked back in, especially the day-to-day -day operations of the restaurants? And the reason I ask is I heard this quote recently, and it, like, blew my mind, which is an independent cafe owner is spending 80 hours a week working on their business. And Elon Musk is spending probably 80 hours a week working on his businesses. And look at the difference in output, right? And I think a lot of it comes down to focus and diligence, right? Like what you choose to focus on. So mm -hmm. I don't know whether you get those daily or weekly calls with the lines need to be hydro jetted again. There was a grease fire in the kitchen. But over time, I'm sure those calls have probably become less frequency as your team is built up. But in those mm -hmm. early days, when you were ambitious and working on all of these different things, and those calls were still coming in, how did you manage that? That was hard. I often say to younger chefs, one of my greatest accomplishments, and it was very behind the scenes, was walking off the line or the expo of my restaurant, 610 Magnolia, which was my first flagship sure. restaurant. Like that was such a scary thought to me to like leave for a month and do a TV show or take two weeks off to sit there and write a book or work on another restaurant con like. When I made the jump from one restaurant to two restaurants, that was the biggest, scariest thing I ever did. And I knew that I had to walk away and step off the line. And I really found that chef. And I was like, this is 
going to be your restaurant and I'm stepping off the line. I'll still come every night, but then it'll slowly, I'll come like twice a week. Then I'll come once a week. Then I'll come twice a month. And that was the scariest thing for me to do because it did the, the minute I stepped away from the restaurant and I wasn't there every night and I wasn't there to greet customers. All my regulars used to come and they'd see me every single night and we'd have a glass of wine at the end of the night and we'd laugh and we'd chuckle and we'd tell stories. And, and all of a sudden that disappeared and we lost a lot of customers. And it was the biggest thing because I could have at that point sort of gotten scared and jumped back in the restaurant and said, no, no, this is not working. Like I got to come. You got to because sales were dipping. And that was the biggest thing I ever did was to keep that resolve and say, you know what? I know sales are dipping. Everyone, like the GM, everyone's like, where are you? Like, you got to come back to the restaurant. Like, the people are missing you. They're asking for you. What are you doing? And I said, no, I got to stick to my guns. At the time, the chef's name was Gabe. It was like, it's Gabe's restaurant. He's got to do it. He's got to figure it out. You have to figure it out. And it wasn't like I was five minutes away at home. And I didn't have a family. So it wasn't like I was doing anything important. But I was like, I have to have this moment to make sure that I know I can walk away from this so that if something does happen and I have to go away for a month, I know you guys can do it. And it was a very hard fought process and it wasn't overnight and it didn't take weeks, it took months, but it did. And I got to a level where it's suddenly like they started having their regulars and people started coming in and wanting to talk to that chef. And that's a beautiful thing. And that's a years, years long process. Well, and it also requires diligence and patience. Right. Because at the end of the day, it certainly doesn't work when you start and it hurts and it's a painful process. But there's so many times in my career that I pivoted or evolved and I knew I was doing the right thing. But all of the external indicators showed me that this was definitely, definitely the wrong move. You have to have that internal faith in yourself to push forward. Right. I know that fear, the fear of losing everything or almost as bad, the fear that you'll have to grind on for years at the restaurant without things ever getting better. Hope is nice, but you need help. So I'm going to leverage my 20 years in this industry and the 200 interviews I've done to give you the help that you need. I'm hosting a free webinar this month called The Scaling Session. Over 90 minutes together, I'm going to lay out exactly what you need to do to scale profitability, scale brand awareness, and scale customer frequency. Go to restaurantwebinar.com to sign up today. To make sure that everybody gets what they need from the event, seating is limited. I'm only allowing 25 guests so that you all get the individualized attention that you deserve. Go to restaurantwebinar.com to secure your spot today. Yeah, and you have to believe in yourself. You have to have guts. I mean, you have to have a little bit of insanity. You have to have a lot of courage. You have to have a lot of instinct. There's nothing to me that is more valuable in this industry than maturity and experience. And there's a lot of amazing young chefs out there who are just badasses. When things go awry, it's usually it comes down to maturity and experience. And we do a mentorship program. And I'm always trying to hone that in. Like, you'll get there. Be patient. Everyone comes out, they come out of the gates and they want to open a restaurant, do a cookbook, have a show. And I'm like, it'll all happen in due time. This is a very, very long career. If you play it right, you can do this for 40, 50 years. It's a long time. And I think doing things too young, too fast, too much in my personal, and it's just been my life and my career. Like I waited 
eight or nine years before I opened my second restaurant, you know, which is a really long time. Like I see chefs now, they open their first restaurant six months later, they're announcing their second restaurant. I'm like, wow, that's like light years ahead of what I would did. And maybe that works. We live in a much more hyper accelerated world these days. But I still believe like there's nothing that can replace maturity and experience. And as you get older and more experienced and more mature, you just make better decisions. What seems like a risky, crazy move at 38 or at 48, you go, it's not because I, I know what I'm doing. Like I have the experience and I know how to weave and navigate through this industry. And so it's getting to that place, right? It's getting from the 25-year-old chef to like the 45-year-old chef and having that, then how you manage your career in between those years is so important. And keeping your head above water, keeping your nose clean, grinding it out, but also enjoying yourself so that you don't burn out. I've seen so much burnout. And it's a shame when you talk to a chef who's like, you know, in their mid-30s and they're already complaining and burning out and exhausted. Yeah. And like, man, you've got two decades left to go. Like, you can't sustain this. Like, you have to find ways to be inspired to be amazed, to look at things through a child's eye. And a lot of times it takes time away from the kitchen. It takes time to get out of your own head and see the world, right? And see life and then come back to the kitchen and food to have that different perspective on it. And so I'm sure a bunch of people are listening and it's this whole chicken and the egg thing, right? Like Chef Lee is right. I'm totally going to do this when, when I hit this number in revenue or this number in profit or when these external conditions happen. But when do you build the team? Do you build the team when you can afford to, when you have the funds? Because most of us are waiting to hit the lottery before we bring on that all-star management team. Or do you believe that when you bring on A players, they pay for themselves? Every situation is different and everyone's going to have a completely unique set of circumstances. And you have to be sensitive to that and you have to listen to it. Yes, you have to look at your books and you have to look at your accounting and forecast and do all the things that is boring in the restaurant business. Or you can hire a good accountant to do it for you. But I think at the end of the day... What did you do? Um, I mean, rather than being prescriptive, yeah. what was the thought process for you? I took a leap of faith. Yeah. There's a mantra that I have, I can't say it enough, and I say it again and again after the 6,000th time. I say it on the first day of training, and I say it on the last day when people quit and leave to do better things. I always say, every day you wake up and you ask yourself, what is the best use of my time? And you do it as a young cook, as a chef, as a GM, as an owner. What's the best use of your time? So sometimes I see my managers, and they're being really helpful. And they are polishing silverware to help the crew get ready for service. And I'll pull the manager aside and say, is that the best use of your time right now? Like, is this the thing that you need to be doing right now? Is there something else that's a better use of your time? And it's a hard question because, you know what, sometimes it is the best use of your time if you're trying to build camaraderie. But as a GM, if you're doing that every single pre-shift, that's not the best use of your time. Like, your best use of your time is how to grow as a GM, how to make life better for your staff, how to innovate the restaurant, how to create more business. That's the best use of your time. And for me, it got to a point where I had such a strong staff of cooks and I had a really good staff in the front of the house. That same mantra that I was telling to my staff, I had to tell to myself. It's not for 
you know, it's not for everyone. You have to really want it. And I think when you decide like, okay, I'm going to hire that great management team so I can step away to do something else, that something else has to be something that drives you. Like you have to want it so bad that it forces you. It's not because, eh, you know, someone asked me to be on Top Chef. I guess I'll do it. Like, that's not the reason. It has to be like, I really want to. And my first big project was writing a book, a cookbook. And I was like, I really want to write a cookbook. I don't, I'm not hiring a ghostwriter. I'm going to write it myself. I'm going to style it myself. I'm going to choose the font. I'm going to test each recipe 10 times. I'm going to make sure I'll, like, I want this to be my statement, something that I'm going to be proud of for the next 30 years. So I poured everything I had into that book. And the only way I could have done that was to step away from the day-to-day operations of the restaurant. So I took a, a big leap of faith and knock on wood, the book was well-received and it kind of got a lot of attention and launched other opportunities for me. There's this big voice and this little voice. And like the big voice says, I should only work on what I'm best in the world at. And there's like a lot of confidence in that, right? But then we all have this little voice inside that whispers to us that goes, well, what is that, Ed? What are you best in the world at? If you're not cooking every day and you're a chef, how are you going to spend your days? And I think that the fear isn't in delegating your existing responsibilities to someone else. The fear is in learning to do a different job. I went from GM to restaurateur, but I didn't really. I just went from GM of a restaurant I didn't own to GM of a restaurant I did own. And then it took years to learn what the job of a restaurateur is. And so I'm curious to know in the early days and even today, I'm sure everybody wants to know, what do you spend your days doing that improves not only your life and enables you to be part of your family's life, but also makes your businesses better? So year to year it changes. I do have a bit of a scattered brain. And I think one of the things about myself is I'm addicted to learning. It is to my credit, but also my detriment. I get bored easily. And sometimes it's very difficult for me to do a deep dive. Like I can never be like a monk and go to a mountain and do like a seven year stint, like focusing on one thing. I love to just learn a lot of different things, have my hand in a lot of different projects. I never want to stop being amazed at things. I want to like continue to have the curiosity of a child when you look at things. And it gets harder and harder to do that as you get older because life gets in the way and you whatever, you get become more jaded. And I think the hardest thing to do is to try and see the world through a child's eyes and have the curiosity of a child when you look at things, when you look at things that you have been using or cooking with for 20 years, and it's so mundane, and you stop and you just look at it again. Or you look at like, how do you manage a team of 20 people? No, 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 I've been doing it this way for 20 years, and it seems right. So just keep doing it. Well, what if you just stopped? And just question everything that you've ever done and stop and start with a blank piece of paper and go, you know what? We're going to start from scratch and I'm going to do this. How do I lead a team of 20 people or a team of 50 people or a team of 120 people? Like, how do I do that? And that's what keeps me up at night in a good way. And during COVID, that's one of the things we did was like, we have this forced closure, like we're dormant. Let's take this time to figure some things out. And when we reopen, which we knew we always would at the time, it was like, we may be open another year and then go out of business. So let's go out with a bang. Let's just go and reopen and reassess everything and see what is it. And I did that. We did it with the GM, with the SOM, with the chef. We were just like, 
and a lot of things we kept because we have been doing it right. But there are a lot of things we did differently. And a lot of things has now sparked this new idea in my head of like, how do we lead with kindness? How do we have a culture that retains people? How do I keep these people as a restaurant family for as long as I can so that I don't have turnover? How do I make sure that these people feel fulfilled in this career? Which, let's be honest, sometimes it's just taking a plate of food from the kitchen to the customer. Like, it is not the most fulfilling job in the world. But how do I make it so that they feel like they're worthy, like they're valuable, like they want to do this? And it's a hard reset. It's a hard lesson. And there's a lot of thought put into it, a lot of discussions, a lot of back and forth, a lot of arguments. But I listened and we figured some things out. It's not perfect still by any means, but we're figuring it out. And I don't know if I answered your question, but I love doing that. I love figuring out ways to just look and relook at things and reassess things. I would assume that the birth of the Lee Initiative probably came out of a what if question. Yeah. I mean, so the Lee Initiative almost has like two, it's like the Lee Initiative and Lee Initiative 2.0 on steroids. And the original Lee Initiative came out of the Me Too movement. And my co-founder, Lindsay Osasek, was my manager for years at 610 Magnolia. And she was a great GM and I didn't want to lose her. And she called me in the office one day and said, I have two kids. Like, I can't work nights anymore. And so I said, I don't, like, there's nothing to do in the daytime. But, like, I don't want to lose the country. And it's more than just the work, right? It's the aura. It's the contribution. It's the presence. It's the wisdom. All that stuff. Like, I don't want to lose that. So I said, well, what's a nine to five job that you can do in the restaurant business? I was like, there's nothing here. What if we did a nonprofit? Would you be up for that? She was like, yes, that's where I started it. So I was like, okay, in an ideal world, if we did a nonprofit, what would you want to focus on? And that was right about the time when the Me Too movement was getting really big and obviously hitting our industry pretty hard. And she said, I want to do something positive for the industry, for women and for leadership and all that. And I was like, all right, let's try it. And it was as easy as that. I mean, it really was. It seems weird, but it was that. And we started it. And again, it gave her this incredible drive to do something, to do something from scratch. And it was successful. We were making you know headway. And then COVID happened. And one of the things we did, which was interesting, is like the year before COVID, if you remember, there was a government shutdown back in January. I forget. But it was like a year before COVID. And when the government shutdown happened, we had decided in Louisville to feed all federal workers who were not getting a paycheck for like a month. You know, I travel all the time. Like I know all the TSA guys at the airport and they weren't getting a paycheck. And I was like, that's messed up. So I invited them all down and we just you know, make burgers and pizza and barbecue. And we just did it every night for like three weeks. And it was this really thing. And it was over. And then, But I was like, you know what? Keep the blueprint for this. Because I don't know what, but there's something here. I don't know. And I'm too busy now. I've got other things, but I don't know what it is, but there's something here that's going to lead to something, I guarantee you. So I made everyone keep, kept all the notes and then how we executed and everything. And literally a year and a half later, whatever, COVID happens. And I go, remember that thing we did with the TSA workers? Like restaurant workers are out of work. No one knows when the next paycheck's coming. And literally they got no notice. They were like, oh, by the way, after Saturday night, you're shut down for I don't know how long. And every restaurant still had a full walk-in full of food. And at the time, I had three restaurants in Louisville. I cleaned out all my restaurants and we just started cooking. And I was like, we're going to do this again. And 
next thing you know, it, it took off and Maker's Mark came on as a sponsor and they said, we have some marketing dollars that we can't use this year. Would you recreate this, you know, feeding kitchen? But it was literally like we shut down on the Sunday, we reset on Monday, and I think Tuesday we opened up our relief kitchen in 610 Magnolia. And all I did was one Facebook post, and I think like 50 people came. There were people were in shock, and they were like, "This is free." And I was like, "Yeah, yeah." Like anyone you know in the restaurant business. I mean, these are people I know, bartenders right. and dishwashers and events coordinators and all these people in the hotel business. I was like, anyone you know that wants a meal, just tell them to come by. We have plenty of food. The next day, 300 cars lined up. Oh, my God. And on day three, there was like a three-mile backup. And I get a little choked up when I think about that because it was a lot of people. It was all the people who were my peers in the industry. And the police had to come and coordinate traffic because there's so many cars. This is happening in Louisville. It's happening in Denver. It's happening in Chicago. It's happening in It's happening everywhere. And we just leapt into action. And it was amazing that the Maker's Mark came up and said, do this. Let's do this. And, you know, we, I don't know, over the course of the next three weeks, we opened something like 20, 22 relief kitchens around the country, all remotely, all during COVID when, you know, everyone was supposed to be at home. It's the worst part of it. And, we were trying to figure out how to do it safely and, you know, doing the no contact pickup and, and all that stuff. And it was hell. I mean, we weren't sleeping. I was asking people to have this leap of faith in me and do this and open up their restaurants again and feed people and have their workers come back. It was crazy. We stopped counting at some point, but I think we fed like over 2 million meals during COVID, you know, and helped a lot of people and it helped a lot, keep a lot of restaurants in business because we were paying the restaurants for all those meals and so that became like the second iteration of the initiative and we got a lot of donations we raised a ton of money and we were able to help a lot of people and now we're at a place where we're still doing some relief our core mission was never to do relief it was something that we did during covid but now that we have this opportunity we helped like kentucky um, just got hit with those dreadful tornadoes or there the next day feeding and made a commitment to be there for six months. The entire towns lost their entire residences. So we do that, but now we're in this phase of like, we have a voice and we have a platform and we have some money behind us and we're rolling out new programs this year. We've got some exciting things and we're seeing if we can really, I don't want to be so brave, bold and say that we're going to change the industry, but at least start the idea and put some things out there. Our women's chef program is nationwide now, and it's doing really well. And we're seeing real results happen in real time with young chefs who are like, just their careers are really being uplifted by this. And you're seeing how this is impacting people. And and it all starts with like, what if? And then we all sit and we sit in the office and we go, what if we try this? What if we do this? What if the industry benefits from this little thing that we put out into the world and it balloons into something bigger? I don't know. And I also think failure is a great thing. We try things and not all of them work. But it's a really cool thing to be a part of a nonprofit. You know, and again, I, if you asked me four years ago, I knew nothing about a nonprofit. I didn't care anything about a nonprofit. And now this thing is a very deep part of my world. And I think it takes up a lot of headspace. And, but the great thing about the nonprofit is it's a constant string of what if questions. This is all we do. We just sit around and go, what if we did this? What if we did that? And that is very exciting for someone like me. This is an industry podcast. And at the end of every episode, I like to give the guests an opportunity to speak directly to the audience. Do you have any advice, words of encouragement you'd like to offer? It's a really depressing time to be in the restaurant industry. 
I am tearing my hair out pretty much every week. Food costs are up. Labor is hard. The industry is getting hammered by media left and right. We're getting hammered by demanding customers. My only thing, and I talk to a lot of chefs who are, I just think, I mean, like literally clinically depressed and people who feel like the industry has given up on them and they want to give up on the industry. And my only thing is, is don't give up because it will swing back. There's not a restaurant industry to speak of right now. We're all just like swimming barely with our head above water. And it feels like a treadmill that's just never going to end. And it's just one catastrophe after another. But I will say it is going to turn around. It will come back. There will be a pendulum swing the other way. I can feel it in the customers. I can feel it in people who are wanting so badly for it to come back. I can feel the tidal wave of appreciation and love from people who understand that restaurants are a huge part of many people's lives and they don't want to see it go away. Especially what we don't want is there's a reason I go to Seattle. There's a reason I go to San Francisco, to Texas, to Chicago. It's not for the museums. It's not for the painting or the beaches. It's for the food. And I don't want to go to Seattle and go and be faced with a bunch of chain restaurants. That's not what travel means. And I think a lot of people know that and they get it. So when they go back to New York or they go to Louisville or Nashville or Knoxville, they want to go back and see that their favorite independent restaurants still running, still going. There's a lot of chatter out there about this is it, it's done. And I think if there's ever a time to double down on the restaurant business, to grind your heels into the ground and really take it for what it is, is right now. And it's a great time to figure out what you want to do next and how your restaurant, how your food, how your menu, how your management style, everything is going to look like and be like when that next pendulum swing happens and we have this huge restaurant upswing. In, in many ways, we've been spoiled. Since well, pretty much the start of my career, about 26, seven years ago, restaurants have been on an upswing. We've had a really good run. And some of these problems, let's be honest, existed before COVID. Like the labor issue was very present before COVID. COVID's made it 10 times worse, but it was there. And we all know it. And there were, we always, there were too many restaurants and too, not enough staff. And so, yes, there is a major correction going on, and it sucks. And we've already lost some amazing restaurants, and we're going to lose more, to be quite honest. Like, there's more fallout to come. But after that, there's going to be a great clearing, and there's going to be a great renaissance. I know it. I feel it. And the just question is, do you want to be a part of that renaissance, or do you want to be watching from the sidelines? And I think right now is as good a time as any to double down on your commitment, on your passion on your skills, on anything that it takes to get your head back in the game and for you to love this industry and love this business. So there's not a lot to love about it right now. And I know that. But if you can find anything, anything that can spark your wonder, your curiosity, your love, your passion, then find that thing and keep it going. And I can't tell you when it's going to come back, but it will. And it may take another year and it may take another two years. But when it happens, it's going to be big. That's Chef Edward Lee. For more on the Lee Initiative, visit leeinitiative.org. If you want to tell us your story, hear previous episodes or check out our other content, 
go to restaurants.yelp.com forward slash full comp. Thank you so much for listening to the show. You can subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. While you're there, please leave us a review. A special thanks to Yelp for helping us spread the word to the whole hospitality community. I'm Josh Kopel. You've been listening to Full Comp.